So thank you, Mary, so much for coming and talking on the podcast. I know for people who've never done this before, and I'm in early days, it's a little bit frightening to know that, you know, there's a video of you out there and what you talk about is going to be out there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. And, uh, so yes, big thank you. And Mary took a little bit of encouraging to get here. Uh, the reason I really wanted to speak to Mary today was to inspire others to hear her story, which is really awesome, and to inspire others, especially women, who have maybe been thinking about other ways of making money or property development, to know that it's a game anybody can play. Would you agree, Mary? It is. I think it is. Definitely. You just need courage and conviction, I think. Courage and conviction. Well, there you go. There's two words that we could maybe thread through the rest of the chat. So let's get started. What inspired you to do a property development, Mary? Well, Hilary, I probably didn't plan on doing a property development. I planned to do more a property renovation, actually, and it grew into a development. So you thought you were going to be doing a renovation and, and, and there was a change of plan halfway through. I think maybe we tell people about the project because Bob and I were talking earlier about your project. It's not something that the average person would jump into as their first property development. You've actually created something pretty amazing. Tell us about what you've actually created and where it is. Okay, well, it, it's in Hobart to start with, Hilary, and it's actually sort of three parts in a way. I had an old building that had another old building joined into it and I separated those two buildings and then one building was jutting into the other so we separated it out and made that into 13 modern apartments and then the old building that had sort of funny old mess at the back, we turned that mess into uh, three apartments and then the original building was still standing. So altogether there are 20 apartments and one commercial space. The commercial space was already there, but we reconstituted it basically. So, yeah, it was quite an undertaking. <laughs> quite an undertaking is a bit of an understatement. So your intention was initially what to re when you say it was a reno, what, was, what did you intend to do at the start? Well, at the very beginning, I was really thinking about taking the commercial building that I had that was jutting into the old building and really just fixing it up a bit, the, the commercial part, and putting a couple of apartments above it. There was already a commercial sort of first floor, but it was terrible, really daggy. And so I was thinking, oh, I'll put a couple of apartments into that. But it sort of grew and grew and grew. And as the architects presented me with, wonderful images and I, I sort of got carried away I suppose. Oh even as you said that I got goosebumps so somebody else showed you potential and you thought oh maybe I could do that was that kind of what went on for you? Absolutely yes I just always knew that the building wasn't um, it's you know best and highest use as they say in the valuation mm. thing I, I always knew it could be better and I sort of um started out with something in mind but as I said it grew when I saw some of the images and I spoke to architects and I, I did actually have one um, false start in that the first architect I spoke with produced something which was pretty horrible and it made me realise then that no that was what I didn't want to go down that path and so the other architects presented me with things that I could identify with 
And so it probably was a largely a visual thing and something that I knew would improve the, the cityscape and the whole mm. city um, amenity, really. I actually don't know. I mean, I know where it is. And the, the pictures I've seen, it always reminds me of that corner in New York, you know, that quite famous. Do other people say that? They do, and they say it's like the Flatiron Building, and I've never seen the Flatiron Building, but I, I sort of know what, where it is now. I know that it's a little bit like that. It's not. It's a bit sharper, the Flatiron Building, I gather. Mine's not quite mm. such a sharp corner. It's a bit more rounded. But, yeah, a lot of people do say that, so that's really interesting. So it's called The Rocks in, Hob- in Hobart, isn't it? R-O-X. And it is on that corner, it has that corner angle to it. So, yeah, a huge undertaking. Quite an interesting uh, statement you made back then just before about the architect, the first one giving you something that was quite horrible. So what made you choose to go down the road of checking what another architect might say? I just felt there had to be something better. They produced this thing that was like a box and it just took up the entire site and I think it basically obscured the old heritage building, which has always been very dear to my heart. And I, I just mm. didn't want to have that completely obscured. And I, I knew that I probably wouldn't get heritage approval if I did that. And so that was what made me look at other architects. And I knew that there were more creative people around. I, I think actually, to be perfectly honest, I had a friend who was a project manager and he was a guy that said, oh, look, we can do this and I'll get you this architect to have a look at his work. But I think he went to the cheapest architect known to man, which is mm. why the first plan was pretty horrible. And so um, I think that was really what it boiled down to, that it wasn't really um, – and the guy was near retirement and wasn't really wanting to put his heart into it and mm. it just didn't seem right at the end of the day. There's a bit of a lesson in there by the cheapest isn't necessarily always the best. Yeah, and when I put it out to the architects, to a couple of architects who were known to be quite creative, I had no idea what their prices were. I just put it out to get some concepts and then they gave me some kind of figure which basically didn't really resemble reality very much at the end of the day but, you know, the, mm. it was what they their vision that was really important. So. So you, you've stumbled into this thinking you're going to just, just do a, a bit of a reno, keep that older architecture or that feeling that it had I sounds to me like you had quite an, a feeling about what you wanted it to look like and then it grew into something reasonably mammoth for the especially for a, a new person like how did you cope with that like what was your strategy around did you just keep more water <laughs> yeah yeah more alcohol <laughs> yes yeah, I was gonna say just have another wine and think crikey I'm, what am I doing what did you do well, I, it's hard to think back, but I do think I was going to some courses at the time. There was some coaching that was quite helpful about just get through it. And, and I do remember a friend of mine who had a saying, and I have kept this uppermost in my mind, which is weird, but it's through mud and blood to greener pastures. <laughs> wow. Pretty, pretty weird saying, but I have kept that in mind that You'll get there, you'll get there. It's just, and yeah, look, you know, sometimes I have been very stressed, but somehow or other, and it's still quite a stressful period now, but look, somehow or other, things more or less work out. And I kind of say, hey, well, I'm, I'm not dead. Um, I've not got coronavirus. <laughs> so, somehow. And you're on your way to greener pastures. 
That's right. You're well on your way. So how how long until you're on the other side now, until you hit the greener pastures? You're pretty close to the end. I finished construction, which is, you know, it was really wonderful, but we're now going through compliance, which is quite stressful because, for instance, today I've been doing reviewing the fire engineering report, the ninth version, and the guys came down from Melbourne. They couldn't come because of um, COVID for a while, but they finally came down. And you should see the size of their their review and the things that I have to do for that are a bit interesting. So compliance is really the, where we're at now and then getting titles. And that's taking longer than I thought, but it's the way it is. So I'm sort of pushing people to get through the tasks that we have to do. But the thing that does um, concern me, which as other people have experienced, I know, is that it's what was forgotten by the contractors in the beginning that comes up at the end post-completion, which I find Mm. quite difficult to sort of cope with. You know, why didn't Mm. you tell me that we needed these overflow emergency pipes at the beginning? We've got normal pipes in our decks and the council passed the plan and then post-construction they say, oh, you haven't got these these overflow pipes. And they think, ah, well, I don't know why the, these things are allowed to happen post-construction. Why aren't they provided earlier on in the piece when you're doing the construction? So mm. that are things I find a bit challenging, to say the least. Mm. But, and other things you don't know that you don't know. That's Yeah, that's right. But, I mean, the builders should know. That's what the council said. Oh, it's up to the builders to know. I think, well, isn't that why we give you the proposals, for you to say what's compliant and what's not? But no, they just mm. say, no, it's the builder's responsibility. Mm, I suppose that's the contract side. Or was it the builder that was contracting the other trades or the other professionals? Yeah. Well, actually, the engineers were my contractors. The architects put those on in the beginning. So that's my contractor and my responsibility because they did the design mm. and um, the builder didn't do the design and construct. They just did the construct from the design. So mm. it all comes back to me at the moment. I I just sort of, there's been a conversation here today. Uh, we were helping somebody through something and they are at sort of at beginning phases and that was the conversation that they had this morning. So it was a mentoring student. They're at next step and what they need to do and it was yeah so Bob and I had been having this conversation because it was afterwards I'm like oh so where is she up to now I'm always like I always like to know exactly where people are and what their next steps are yeah that's what something that he alluded back to it's turned out to be bigger so for you to cope with something like that Mary you must have been through it I mean you've obviously got some pretty big courage inside you you know there's something that you're not just an absolute newbie to life I know earlier you and I had had a conversation and you mentioned that you had to change your life because uh, you got divorced so I'll I'll let you (laughs) explain that one for me okay well I've been married for quite a long time uh, like 20 Mm. years and I've been with my husband as he was my boyfriend for about five years before that so long relationship and he was a very successful businessman and um, mm. also a, a guru in IT, well-respected and known and so on. And so I kind of just floated along, you know, happily and didn't worry about finances or anything. And I had a, a nice little publishing business, which I really liked, but didn't bring in much money. And um, <clears throat> then things went haywire. The business went down and, and my husband and I broke up and I suddenly realised I had this little little business. I thought, oh, my goodness, I just better get myself into gear here because this isn't going to support me, this business. Um, mm-hmm. Luckily, the children had pretty much grown up 
But I just suddenly had this realisation that I needed to get my act together. And, and, you know, prior to this, I'd always been sort of standing by my husband and events and things and just saying yes and smiling and just being the sort of the, the extra person, the partner that didn't say much. And then afterwards, I realised that it was up to me, you know, if it is to be, it is up to me. I mean, it didn't happen overnight. And certainly when I first got divorced, I was, you know, really struggling. But gradually, I just sort of got confidence in my own abilities and although it was very slow and now I'm a completely different person and now I'm doing things and now my husband's actually, ex-husband, he's actually quite ill. He has got Parkinson's and so that's a different matter. But over the years there's been this kind of change in roles and just happened really through one of life's kind of unplanned for circumstances. But I do feel that it was a turning point for me, um, not something that you'd want to happen, but look, hey, it was not all, not at all negative, some positives for me. I really hope that people, women, and people in general, but women listening to this, hear this story and think, yes, you weren't a property developer. It's almost like you were the movie extra. You'd go to an event and you were just one of the extras and you did everything right and said all the right things and you were the right dutiful partner. And I'm sure you brought up lovely children and you know cooked all the meals and kept an amazing house but we forget that sometimes that's actually what got me into life coaching when I first started coaching I just got tired of I was working as a personal trainer in a gym and I got tired of hearing stories of women who husbands left them and they ended up having a really sad life and one lady was sorting mail and it was a real tipping point for me I thought women have got to do something about themselves and so to hear that you've you gained courage by getting into property and how this journey just evolved and became bigger than what you thought it would be. It's made you a much stronger woman, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely, Hilary. I mean, I think it was the process of getting involved in the property development. I did do little things before this. The first thing that I did was I renovated my house big time because I had a house and then I had to sell it. When we had a house and we had to sell it. And then I bought another house, which was pretty awful, and I renovated that with the builder. It turned out really well. And then I did another one. So I had done a few things, sort of gradually crept up on it, didn't go completely into this uh, unknown. And, and yes, and the house that I bought was because we separated and I had to get another house and I couldn't afford a really fabulous house. So I just bought a, an old, an ordinary house and, and um, renovated it. And so that was basically kind of where I started from doing those things, a couple of them that turned out really well financially. And so, well, then I bought this bigger property, the old heritage property, and then I did an apartment out the back in that and changed it all around. And so it was sort of a gradual process. It wasn't going from Mm. doing nothing to doing this big thing. And I know that you say all the time, start small. And I did start small, but I probably never planned to do a development. It just, each stage was sort of an obvious a kind of progression from the last one, really. And probably you have to have had some sort of desire to improve life and you weren't just prepared to, okay, it's all sorted now, I've got myself a nice house, I can just get an eight to five and survive. There were obviously there's some drive in the background to go, oh, hang on, I could do more. Oh, hang on, I can do more. And, and you grew. I love watching, you were just at the workshop that we had in Sydney, so Mary came over to that. It was, it was awesome. Great, everybody. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was great. It was, I really enjoyed it. was nice to be back to having a workshop after, you know, the time off because of COVID. I remember I was speaking at the front of the room and I, I said about 
everyone should talk to Mary about what she's done. And I think that you hadn't given yourself enough credit because I saw you light up in the break when so many people were interested in what you did. And I think that we, some people, and it can be often women, we tend to just play ourselves down. Yes, yeah, I think you are right, Hilary. And honestly, I didn't really think I was doing anything too amazing until the build got towards the end. And I just had so many people in Hobart coming up and saying, oh, this is the best building in Hobart and, you know, it's iconic and all the other, most of the others are awful boxes and that. And I suppose I then started to realise that it was a bit special. But up until then, I was just doing it and thinking, well, this is what you do. But it was only when it was finished that people started saying, wow, and, you know, this should get an award. I'm thinking, oh, oh, that's good. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Inspiring. Like you just start off with something you think is going to be, you know, gain traction the whole time. As I went along, I did probably develop more confidence because I knew that I didn't know anything about um, development when I started. So I did have a project manager to help me. But I do remember one thing in particular that has stuck with me, and that is the cladding of the building. It's a quite an unusual sort of cladding. And when I was looking for, oh, we, we had pictures of it in the beginning, but we did, it was meant to be a thing called German Schmier, which is a sort of a, an uneven cladding over the bricks showing through. When we looked at it, it looked, didn't look so good on the samples that they presented. And I kept saying, no, this isn't right, this isn't right. And I'd be standing there with the bricks, with all the builders around me and the brickies and everybody looking at me as if I was mad. Why are you being (laughs) such a fuss pot? Just get on with it, woman. Just select it and be done with it. But I did stick to my guns about that. And honestly, that's what everybody loves, and that is the bagging, the fact that it looks quite organic and the colour's perfect and it, it's just nothing like what the um, architects originally specified. So I suppose um, that did give me confidence in in my abilities a bit more, that it has turned out well. could have been terrible, of course, but, um, mm. but no. For you, was that a gut feeling, Mary, or was that, do you have a natural ability to know what looks good? Uh, I don't know, but I think in the end I can sort of, yeah, well, I think I've got a reasonable sense of taste, although my daughter would probably argue with that. But <laughs> <laughs> Would, Wouldn't all our daughters argue with that? <laughs> I, I don't know. I just knew roughly what I wanted it to look like and I didn't want it to look mm. – the, the black of the bricks was showing through and it just looked sort of – it was meant to look old, but it looked kind of dirty and I didn't mm-hmm. want that. So, yeah. So looking back now, is there anything that you would have done differently that you, like from today as you go back or even over the process, what would you have done differently? Well, what I would do differently would be that I would spend a lot more time with my, my consultants, the, particularly the engineers, the architects and so on, looking at their plans in the beginning to say to them, can you guarantee that you know, there won't be changes at the end that you that you need to have identified. Because I, I as I said to you, I don't really find it very acceptable that some of the mm. consultants have just said, oh, we forgot this or we didn't know about that. I think they mm. need to be a little bit more responsible from the beginning. And so I would spend a lot more time at the beginning stage rather than just thinking, yeah, the plans are fine, you know, they've been approved by the council, they're fine, DA's all set, let's go. I would take a lot more care at that point rather than just saying, okay, the construction will be according to the plans and everything will be hunky-dory. 
I would look mm. a lot more carefully at the early stages. I think that's what I do. I'm doing it again. Do you think that? Do you think that maybe they, as consultants, realised that you were a little bit green? Do you think maybe they took advantage of you, or not really? Yeah, possibly. That is possibly true, but I suspect also that there was a bit of a problem with one consultant in particular themselves. They um, they had a, a manager who, when I applied, when I put them on, was there. About the next day, he left. So right, and there were people in in the middle who left the business, and mm. now the original manager came back, and he's now trying to sort mm. out the problems. So. It was possibly some my experience, but because I did have a project manager, and I must say I could not have done it without this project or without a project manager. I had two. I had one in the beginning who um, helped me through the tender process and the contract, and the contract was really helpful, the fact that I had someone who really tore the contract apart and put it together. That was really helpful. And then he swapped to somebody who had engineering experience and they were able to help me with the technical side. But... I still had to be in there a fair bit. Like now I'm still mm. driving the, the compliance issues. The, the, the project manager's not really driving it. He's more mm. checking. So so as far as family, you mentioned your daughters before. How was your family? How supportive were your family and friends around you doing this project? Well, um, interesting. My family has been pretty supportive. Uh, my daughters in particular one of them has been an investor in it. Um, she just said, hey, mum, look, this is so great. We'll invest. I said, fine, terrific. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. Um, the other one, she didn't invest, but she is doing her own developments. Yeah, my younger daughter is a tower of strength. She and I discuss problems all the time, and so that's been fantastic. My partner, mm, sort of mm, helpful, but not as much as my daughter's. And my friends, I think they all think I'm crazy. <laughs> Actually, you did tell me that at the workshop. I think you said that they sort of thought you should be having coffee and shopping and you're like, no, I'm a property developer. Why can't you come to coffees every day and do these walks in the middle of the day all the day? And Yeah, so they don't really understand, I don't think, but my daughter does. And and the thing is that my dad, he wasn't a property developer, but he was in a minor way. He was kind of a property redeveloper. He'd take an old property and he'd change it and make it better. Hello, is that not what monkey see, monkey do? Have you, have you not just done the same thing? Yeah, and that's the thing. I've been doing it and now my younger daughter's doing it. And so it's quite interesting that there is some sort of flow through the generations, I think, which um, you don't realise at the time you're doing it, but obviously there was an influence. And when so your parents aren't around now? No, no, they both they both passed away. But um, I mean, they did it on a small scale. But yeah, they did that. And when my daughter was young, I remember uh, my younger daughter. I remember reading to her that Robert Kiyosaki's "Rich Dad Poor Dad" and trying to inculcate in her the need for looking after yourself and being self reliant and. And property wow. and all that. And, you know, she's really taken that on board. It's just amazing how it's really influenced her. And she she has got a husband who's very successful professionally, but she's doing these things with, with family support. But, you know, I think it was those early days that helped her to get that attitude. So that was good. That's awesome. Ironically, I interviewed another female this week who said, she didn't say she'd been reading it to her daughter, so that's very impressive, but who said the same thing. Once she read that book, she's like, what? Why, why did I know about this? 
So how old was your daughter when you were reading her Rich Dad, Poor Dad? She was 16, and I can remember walking along the beach together. We'd be reading this damn book and walking along the beach. Wow. Yeah. And she, she went on to be a um, project, um, project manager in, in high-end commercial um, businesses in, in London, but she found it too stressful and she just wanted to have a change of career. So she went off and studied design at the Chelsea Design, design School and started doing interior design, and then she started doing interior design of properties they were renting and then getting permission to sublease them out and, and keeping the gap in the rent. And then they started buying them and, and renovating them, and then they started buying them and, and um, started titling and selling. And so it, it sort of emerged for her. Uh, she didn't go, oh, I'm going to do this, boom, boom, boom. It was a gradual process of working out what she was good at and wanted to do. So. Property, it's quite infiltrated through into your family, hasn't it? So the girls, how do you think your parents, what do you think they would say about what you've been able to achieve with the rocks in Hobart, R-O-X? So if you want to Google that, anybody, the rocks, it's amazing. But what, what do you think they would say? Well, I think my dad would say, great, terrific. And my mum would say, oh, Mary, why are you bothering doing this? <laughs> Go and have cups of coffee with the ladies. <laughs> yeah. And how, how are you left feeling afterward? Like, what's the feeling you have now, you know, at coming to the end and, and creating something very spectacular? Um, well, I feel very pleased and proud that it's something that will be a bit of a legacy and I feel that it will mm. add to the environment and add to the, hopefully add to the, well, I'm, I'm putting some of it in the visitor market and particularly the old parts. I really love those and I'm really happy that they'll be, special Tasmanian experiences. So I'm very mm. proud and happy about that. But, yeah, but I think I might do some more stuff but not as big. <laughs> sort of maybe yeah. something a little less stressful financially probably. As, um, yeah. Yeah, I would like to do some more stuff. So what is that, Mary? What do you think is the next thing that you – what's the plan forward? Yeah, well, I have seen a site that I think – Of course you have. <laughs> yeah. And it has got some old heritage places on it, but they would be knocked down, I think. So I don't know. I'd probably like to do a couple of really nice townhouses on that site because Mm. from my point of view, I don't think I – well, I don't think I'd do apartments again because there's so much compliance with that. But townhouses, Mm. I think, is not as much when they're separate dwellings. And I also think that there's an awful lot of baby boomers who are wanting to downsize but in Hobart, there's not enough small places for them to actually have. They, they don't want to go into apartments generally, and yet the small houses or townhouses with privacy and gardens are very rare commodities here. So I just think that some small-scale quality things in that area would be really mm-hmm. good because all my friends keep saying, oh, we're looking for places. We don't want these big houses anymore. We just want to have a small place but with a little garden and, and you know, a, a, probably a garage or carport and close to coffee places and they don't want to be whoop whoops they want to be in a good area Mm. but it's hard Mm. to find those things but I wouldn't mind trying to find some more of those and as I said I found one but I haven't really investigated it properly yet because I'm still too busy doing this but I'm going to look into it. So did you find as doing this as a a woman on her own was, was it quite lonely for you Mary? Was it a lonely journey? Yes Yes, it is, because ultimately the buck stops with you, or stops with me. Mm. But I think 
my daughter, being able to ring her and have a chat to her was really helpful. Mm. And my partner's got some engineering qualifications, but I think it is a bit of a lonely journey. My project manager was helpful, but at the end of the day, you realise it is all you and if you stuff up, mm. then you're the one who you know, carries the can. So, yeah, it is lonely. Mm. But on the other hand, Hilary, I am speaking and, and having dealings with so many different people from different walks of life, which is really interesting. And you get to know mm. them in a, uh, like you, I get to know you a little bit more than just as a, Coat. Oh, well, you know, you have good dealings with people and you realize mm. a little bit more about their personal situations. And, and mm. that is, that is really rewarding. I have enjoyed that. The, like the builders have been mm. fantastic. The, the people that I've had project managing the building have been awesome. And some of the contractors I've got to know and certainly, you know, the real estate agent's almost a best friend and just goes mm. on that you do have, mm. um, a wide, range of contacts that you would never have had otherwise so mm. that's that's rewarding but at the end of the day mm. it is all up to you really okay so that i think hearing you say that yeah you've you and just as you've said it, i suppose i just forget you have just met so many people on this journey and as you say you get to know them at a different level it's not just somebody like me Who's always on a YouTube or Facebook channel or, or whatever? Yeah, you you actually get to meet and have conversations with people, and I totally understand that real estate agents or just a huge amount. And if you compare that to say your friends that you know, want you to have cups of tea, which is probably quite lovely, it opens your world up to so much more. It really does. That's right. I mean, my friends, um, lovely people, but what they want to do is, as I said, have coffee and travel. Well, the travel's been a bit stuffed lately, but even so, they've been mm. attempting it. But it doesn't have as much purpose. The great thing about mm. this is there's a purpose, and the purpose is to you know finish the build and that, but then to share the benefits that you've got with your family and you know whoever else. And Hobart, look what you've created for Hobart. Yeah, no, I think the mayor's going to open it. I think she's yeah. been very supportive, and and that's um and that is really nice to know been supportive in in a general way maybe not when it gets to the <laughs> nitty-gritty of the plumbing approvals and stuff but look yeah mm. it is it's it's nice to feel that you're doing something that's going to make the place better i must say so mary moving forward you're prepared to jump into this whole property development thing the reason for this chat with you today is is to hopefully inspire others, like I said at the beginning, to know that anybody can do this. And you might be starting off with a reno and the reno that you chose turned into something rather spectacular. You're keeping some, you're selling some, you've created an asset for yourself, you've created an asset for Hobart, you've done a, a really amazing job and just hats off to you for for creating something so spectacular and just doing it as a woman by herself who, who had had no idea on property who'd done a few renos <laughs> yeah oh well, thanks Hillary that's 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 very kind of you um yeah look I have enjoyed the process and it's also been nerve-wracking but it makes you grow as a person and and that's, absolutely that's been really rewarding mm. I have to say mm. um so if anyone wants to have a look they can just google the rocks.com.au I don't think there's a lot up there of the current, the latest stuff because I have to, I have to redo all my website. The websites are there are for the, well, they were the ones that my state agent's son did in the beginning and they're pretty basic. So this whole thing is getting revamped. I haven't been going on Facebook all the time and talking about the progress. It's been a 
a silent journey, but it is about mm. to erupt. So the stuff that's there is, is is probably mostly Roxburgh House, the old part rather than the new part, but there will be some more stuff up there. So if somebody wants to have a look, is it best they wait a month or two and where would they find the images of what you've created? Well, they would find probably something on the rocks.com.au, T-E-T-H-E-R-O-X. But as I said, that's a very basic thing. But there's more to come. There's more to come, yeah. I'm waiting till I get it right. I don't want to do it, go off and do it half-cocked, according to my daughter. I have to do it properly. And I will be putting up images of the old building, the Scotch College, which was the, built in 1880, and I just basically gutted it and redeveloped it. And that they are just beautiful, those, those apartments. They are divine. And so I've got a, a photographer coming down this Friday to take some architectural images. And so there will be something coming, maybe, I don't know how long it will be, maybe in the next week or two, but soon. And people can have a look. Well, by the time this gets uh, gets launched, this episode gets put out, Mary, hopefully it, it's ready by then. And I thank you again so much for inspiring people to know that, hey, anybody can do this. Well, I hope I, hope I have. I hope I have. And, um, yeah, good luck to everybody. And just have to, as you say, keep going. I think perseverance is probably one of the things you really need, I think. You said two words at the start. You said consistency and... Courage and conviction. Oh, sorry, courage and conviction. And then the saying of, to greener pastures was? Through mud and blood to greener pastures. <laughs> yeah, there you go. They were the things that drove Mary to complete the huge thing she did on her own. All right, Mary, thank you so much for sharing and talking with us. And I hope everybody enjoyed this. Catch everybody again soon.